Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen to this episode. We're going to talk about today, sign seekers. Now, we know that when we study the Bible and we see what God says that we are to do, one of those things is in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove, in other words, test, all things Hold fast to that which is good. We know that one of the reasons instructions like that exist is that false information abounds, and such has been the case since the beginning of the world with the serpent beguiling Eve, and then grew and multiplied as there were men that taught and that there were prophets, just as there were prophets of God. There were false prophets in Jeremiah chapter 14, Verse 14, the Lord said unto me, that is, the Lord said unto Jeremiah, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision, a divination, a thing of naught, and the deceit of their heart. And so what you got there is there were men that were prophets and they were lying. They were saying that God told them something when he really didn't. And we see that today. Of course, if you've done um, some of your listening to past podcast, and if you have not, here's a little thing that you might want to go listen to, the podcast on the Age of Miracles. There are no prophets today. There will not be in the future. Uh, so you could go and listen to that. Prophecy is one of the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. That was temporary. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13 uh, shows us that. That was limited to the first century, maybe even early uh, into the second century, but not beyond that. Well, as there were false prophets of old, Peter writes in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction." And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feign words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So what you get from unpacking Second Peter 2, 1-3 through is when you look back in the Old Testament, like passages like Jeremiah 14, 14, as there were false prophets then, there are false teachers in the first century and going forward, as we see abounds all over, and in the age of technology that we live in right now, with podcast and social media and YouTube, and you know, I know YouTube could be classified as social media to a degree, all these other things, just any idiot has access to say whatever they want to say. So there are a lot of idiots out there that are saying things that are false, and they do so craftily. They, with feigned words, treat people as though they are merchandise, right? I, I don't know how many podcasts or, or videos that I've seen over the years where it, it comes down to money. You know, the guy is saying, hey, uh, listen to me, and then if you like, donate to me on Patreon or do this or do that and so forth and so on. And right now, if you're hearing some noise, it is our trash day. And unfortunately, I picked the time to do this podcast where the trash truck is right outside my house. And seemingly, he is going slow 
and loud as possible. So I apologize if you hear that in the background. I'm doing the best that I can to turn the mic here so that it's not so loud. But to me, at least, I hear it in my ears. Okay, back to our subject. So we live in this time where false teachers, not just as Peter said in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, exist among Christians because they would infiltrate congregations. They would creep in, Jude verse 4. But now with all the opportunities to reach people, there are just a flood of false doctrine out there and a flood of the false teachers that teach it. So what we've got in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3 is even magnified now. There are a lot of people out there saying a lot of things, and it's upon you as the hearer to prove it, to test it, to see if it holds up and is the truth. Do you know, and if you listen to uh, Thursday's podcast, if you haven't done that, I had a podcast special edition, the once a month one that we're going to be doing every first Thursday of the month. I had a podcast with uh, one of my brethren here, Bill Ard, and we talked about people that are deceived. And we talked about what I'm about to give you right now, Ephesians 5, 6 to 11. The command to the saints in Ephesus was, let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things come the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving, so there it is again, the First Thessalonians 5.21 principle, proving or testing what is acceptable unto the Lord. Not acceptable unto men. Not, well, is this what I've always heard? Because what I've always heard is truth. Well, maybe what you've always heard is error. Maybe you've been a follower, excuse me, of false teachers all along. Well, no. So prove and see if what you're hearing is acceptable unto the Lord. And then verse 11, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them or expose them. You know, in general, as a principle that we read, you know, throughout the scriptures, it's not good to believe everything you hear. And in the age of the internet, uh, man, the amount of misinformation is out there. If you're not aware of this, let, let me explain something to you. If you have the ability to access an internet connection through a phone, a tablet, or a computer, you can create a website. And sometimes you can do that if you do a low-end website for free. And you could say, you know, say your name is, is uh, John Doe. You could put a website together that says johndoesmedicaladvice.com. And you could go to Google Images or other image uh, locations on the internet. You could download an image. You could put board certified, whatever you want on that website. Nobody is checking that, okay? Nobody's checking that. And you could put up all kinds of little badges. You could put up top, among the top 10 doctors. You could not have an eighth grade education and do this. You could claim you're a doctor, and you could start writing blogs, or you could you do whatever you wanted to do. You could create fake images, and you don't even need skill to do this. And you could put out medical advice. Now, if anybody can do that, what's that tell you about 
what you see online. There was a, I can't remember now, I used to use this as an illustration and I can't remember it, but there was, I think, I think it was like a State Farm commercial or something like that where somebody was going to meet someone on, that they met online and they were expecting a certain type of person uh, to show up, somebody that was French or something like that. I'm only saying that because the guy walks down and he's nothing like what the picture online looked like. And he says, bonjour, you know, uh, maybe you could look that up. Maybe it's on YouTube or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> the point being, deception is easier now than it has ever been. Because the amount of misinformation far, by far, outweighs the truth. And the checks and balances just aren't there. So don't trust what you look up online. Some people treat Google like it is the Word of God. It's not. And Bible websites, like they are the Word of God. 99% of them are not. 99% of them are people or organizations that hold to a certain creed and everything they teach surrounds proving that creed. So in general, God, long before the age of the misinformation that we live in now, said through Solomon in Proverbs 14, 15, the simple, meaning the naive, believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. Listen, don't believe everything that you hear or read, and in the age we live in, believe less, okay? Because the misinformation abounds on medical things, on biblical things, on financial things, all kinds of things. To use my earlier thing, you, you could put together a website uh, called johndoefinancialadvice.com, and John Doe could say that he is a trillionaire, and he could post pictures of his yacht post pictures of his huge house, post pictures of this, while he's putting together the website from prison. <laughs> right? Hmm. What do you think? All he needs to do is smuggle in a cell phone. That's all he needs to do. He can put together this website using all these fake images, and then he could have little buttons like, buy my six-month program for how to become a trillionaire like me. And all you're doing is buying him cigarettes in prison. And you know what? That stuff happens. And people fall for it because the simple, the naive, believe every word. And they'll say, but, but you should see how successful this man is. This guy has all these properties and all these other things. Don't believe everything you read and believe actually less. Okay? It's misinformation. There are people in this world, and at long, you know, not just today. Today is just easier to do. But going way back, Psalm 28, 3, Psalmist writes, Draw me not away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity, which speak peace to their neighbors, but mischief is in their hearts. Solomon in Proverbs 26, 22 through 28, The words of a talebearer are his wounds. They go down the innermost parts of the belly. Burning lips and wicked heart are like potsherd covered with silver dross. He that hateth dissembleth with his lips and layeth up deceit within him. When he speaketh fair, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart, whose hatred is covered by deceit. His wickedness shall be showed before the whole congregation. 
Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth the stone shall return upon him. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and flattering mouth worketh ruin. So, so in the midst of all those instructions, when he speaketh fair, believe him not. Why? Because there are seven abominations in his heart. People know how to be persuasive, but it's wrong. I'm, I want to tell you something. Back in the 1990s, I temporarily sold cars uh, in Springfield, Ohio. And I say temporarily because of this reason. I was pretty good at selling cars, not because I was deceptive. In fact, the story I'm about to give you will show you how I, I looked at things, but because I listened to people and I listened to what they needed. A lot of times I spent my time selling cars, which was brief, uh, by pointing people away from what they wanted to buy to what they really should. You look back then, it's changed now. Back now, we live in an age where you can go online and find out what you know the invoice price is of a car. Which, by the way, there's still dealer holdback and there's still kickbacks from banks and other things. So even that information's not altogether accurate. Uh, but uh, to come back to point, uh, we had more markup then than there is on new vehicles now. And I preferred to sell new, but also sold used because we had both at the dealership. And people would come in and they'd want, you know, this high-end vehicle. I sold Pontiac Buick GMC uh, at that time. And uh, they'd come in and they'd want to spend more than they should. So I often, looking at the credit, um, back then when you were a salesman, you had to do more than, than I have seen that people have to do now. And... Well, look at that credit report and, and decide how we're going to, to manage somebody into a vehicle they can actually afford. And at the end of the day, people appreciated that. Well, one time there was a woman that came in, older, older woman, and she wanted a Buick Park Avenue, which was the high end of our vehicles. The only thing that we had that was more expensive were a few of the pickup trucks. But back then, in the 1990s, the Buick Park Avenue went for over 30000 That tells you how expensive it was because we also had cars on the lot that were 9000 Okay, I think it was Pontiac Sunfire at the time. We you can get a base model for nine thousand. Don't you wish you could do that today, right? And if you talk to older people, I mean, talk about days when they went out and bought a new car for a thousand dollars. I mean, I wish I lived then. Anyway, back to point. Uh, this older woman, her husband had died, and uh, when I sold cars, the dealership that I worked with, we worked on a per unit income. So. Uh, we got a bonus at five units, a bonus at 10, and a bonus at 15. What we made on the vehicle didn't change how much I got paid. Uh, so um, I, this lady wanted this Buick Park Avenue. Um, she had told me her story about her husband recently dying, the life insurance policy, how her and her husband had always wanted a Buick Park Avenue, and she wanted to do it. She was older in age, and so we, we test drive. Uh, park couple of Park Avenues. She wanted this one specific one because it was his favorite color. Uh, the fact that I remember this much detail just tells you how much this was impactful to me if you know me at all. Uh, well, this older woman, I coached her. I, I knew what we paid for the vehicle and that it had not been on the lot a significant time. Uh, and, and they sold. There was a certain type of customer that bought, bought the Park Avenues and they generally didn't care how much they spent. Uh, I told her, I said, this is what you can get this for. And I explained to her that my sales manager was going to say no at first and that he was going to come and he was going to talk to her and coach her on this. So I told her this 
And then I told her, so we can get it to you for this. Just play hardball with me with my manager. Tell him you're only going to pay this much. And then when you go back in the finance department, you're paying cash. Don't buy, don't buy the extended stuff. I mean, this lady wasn't going to drive this vehicle for 10 years. She probably wasn't going to live much longer. Uh, and if she did, it was going to be limited mileage. So anyway, uh, at the end of the day, long story short, my sales manager not only sold it to her for sticker price, which was a significant markup at that time, but then she went back to finance and they talked her into everything I told her not to do, even buying an undercoating, which was just a second spray at that time that they did in the shop. Didn't need it. Vehicle already had it, but I mean, just sold her everything at the highest tier price. That was terrible for me. That that was that was the mark of the end for me. I I couldn't I couldn't stomach what happened to that lady. But she was happy as can be because she believed that she made a good investment. She could she could have saved thousands of dollars, but she believed the deception that was put upon her. And of course, the sales manager was happy. The finance department was happy because they got all the back-end money, the extended warranty that that woman was not going to use. It was just ridiculous. It was terrible. I couldn't take it anymore. Well, that's the world we've always lived in, where the majority of folks, false teachers or not, talk to other people in a way that they can get advantage. What's in their heart and what comes out of their mouth are different. With all those things in mind, what about people that get the principle that they're probably being lied to? Good. More times than not, you probably are. But what about when they take testing too far? When they become unreasonable for various reasons? For example, in Matthew chapter 22, 15 through 22, the Pharisees took counsel how they might entangle him, that is Jesus, in his talk. And they sent out on him the, the disciples of the Herodians saying, Master, we know that thou art true, lie. They, they, they weren't here for the right reasons, so they're trying to, uh, ignorantly trying to puff up Jesus, right? Because that's one of the ways that people talk to you is they compliment you. They kind of get you fair. Like a lot of preachers I've heard over the years, they spend the first five or ten minutes of their sermon, especially when they're visiting a place, just lifting everybody, just, oh, you are great people. Oh, I was over at Sister Betty's house, and she just fed me the best apple pie I've ever had in my life, and wow, this is just the greatest hospitality. You know, if you go to the next congregation that got, he's saying the same crap. Yeah, he is, and I know, I know I use the word crap there, and sometimes people will sit back and say, I can't believe that you just said that, but hey, that's, that's what it is. And that's the same kind of language than when you look at uh, Paul in Philippians 3 and verse 8, where he said, I'll all, count all things for loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. So that's what that is. It's dung. It's crap, okay? People are just feeding them. Well, that's what they tried to do to Jesus. And then from there, they say, Master, you know that our true teaches the way of God and truth. Now the cares for any man... For thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness. 
this this we don't have the advantage of seeing hearts like Jesus could, but we need to see people for what they are, right? They're wicked. And he says, "Why tempt ye my why tempt ye ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money." And they brought him to a penny and said, he said unto them, "Who's the image in the superscription?" They sent him Caesar's. And he said, Render therefore on Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. They, they didn't come to Jesus seeking evidence truly and genuinely. Be aware of these type of people. So the title of our lesson, Sign Seekers, comes from a little study I was doing, some thoughts that I was arriving at from Mark chapter 8, 11 through 13, where the Pharisees came forth and began to question him, seeking of him a sign from heaven. And tempting him. So here it is, right? Tempting him. We're going to talk about that word uh, here just a little bit. It's the Greek word perizo or something like that. Pyrazo, some pronunciation along that line. We'll talk about that momentarily. Um, so in verse 12, he sighed deeply in his spirit. Boy, here, here's the frustration that comes about with this. Um, I, I, can, I can relate not to the degree to which Jesus did but sometimes I get asked questions and I just, ah, here we go. He says, why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I send you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. So we're going to break this down. Their questioning and tempting of Jesus had impure motives. In Luke eleven fifty three through 54, he said these things unto them. The scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him, seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. So it's a trap. It's a trap. I, I recently got an email from somebody. They were asking me to be baptized and asking me what they should say when they go into a church to be baptized. And I wanted to correspond with them. I said, you know, let, let's talk about this because there's a lot that you need to unpack in that question. And this person didn't want to talk, said they were from, I think, the UK, if I can remember correctly. Uh, and and uh, they'd asked some other questions, and I answered them uh, with the scriptures, but told them there's still more that you need to consider, more you need to learn. I wanted to talk to them or, or try to help them find somebody that they could talk to, a congregation, because that their questions was indicated to me that they wanted to go find some meeting place and people therein that would put them in the water. And based on the way the questions were asked, I knew they didn't understand anything about scriptural baptism, so I wanted to help more. Well, it turns out um, when they responded uh, to my email that they weren't genuine at all. They had lied. Uh, they wanted to get my answers so that they could do some kind of YouTube video uh, and call me uh, a cult leader or something of that nature. Same thing that happened with Jesus. Oh. Uh, I didn't continue to correspond with that individual. We're going to see this from Jesus. When you know somebody is not asking with the right motives, and again, Jesus has a little advantage. He knows what's in man, John 2, 23 and 24. We can't necessarily see people's hearts, but eventually we do get to see their fruit, and we need to judge from that. We need to be fruit inspectors, Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Well, when you look back in the first century, as a sect, most of the Pharisees, were against Jesus. Not all of them, but most of them. Mark 3, 1 through 6, uh, says Jesus, he entered in the synagogue and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. 
And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of the heart, he saith unto them, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Look at that account. I mean, it's terrible, right? Instead of, it, so, so in Mark 8, 11 through 13, we seek a sign. Okay, well, Jesus is going to perform a miracle, but they don't care about that. They just, they just want to lay some charge. You worked on the Sabbath. Like, what are, you, what are you missing here? Well, you're missing a good and honest heart. When they observed Jesus, it was to find accusation, right? We read that. Luke 6, 7 says it. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him, whether they would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find accusation against him. But Jesus was not unaware of this. And Luke 12, 1, in the meantime, there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, and so much that they trod one upon another. And he began to say to his disciples, first of all, be wary of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He knew he was dealing with hypocrites. Their motive in tempting him, again, when we look at that, that word in Mark 8, 11, pyrazo, or I'm not sure of the pronunciation, something like that. Strong's number 3985. When you look at that word, tempting him, listen, it's the same Greek word that's translated examine in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, where it says examine yourselves. So it could equally say tempting yourselves. That's not the, law, that's not the way people tend, gen, ah, let me rephrase. That is not the way people generally or tend to understand the word tempt, right? Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. So examine. It's, they examined him. What made their examination wrong was their motives. It's the same uh, Greek word in Revelation 2.2 to the church in Ephesus. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. How can thou bear them that are e which are evil? And hast tried, same word there is translated tried, them which say they're apostles and are not, has found them to be liars. The church in Ephesus was right for tempting, for trying those that said they were apostles and found them not. That Greek word is defined, again, at Strong's number 3985, is to test, that is, endeavor, scrutinize. But part of the definition is also entice, okay? So you see how a word can be broad, can be a, a good or a negative. It also goes on the definition to discipline, to assay, examine, go about, to prove, to tempt, or tempter, to try. Their testing of Jesus was unjust. Mark 12, 13, they sent unto him certain of the Pharisees and Herodians to catch his word. You see that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, all confirming the motives are wrong in different contexts, by the way. But they're wrong. So Jesus refused to give a sign. Interestingly, in Luke 11, 29 through 32, it says, when the people were gathered, gathered thick together, so a crowd that's, you know, a multitude that's pressing upon one another, he began to say, this is an evil generation. I, I, I want to think about that here in just a moment. They seek a sign. There shall be no sign given it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so also shall the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment and the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment of this generation, shall condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Hmm. So Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign except for 
Jonah. Uh, interesting wording, right? But in that, he indicted that whole generation. And when we look through uh, the New Testament, think about some of this. In Matthew eleven sixteen through 19, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows, saying, We have piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and you have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath the devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, we, we see the parallel in verse 38 through 42 of what we just uh, talked about in Luke 11, 29 through 32. In Mark 8, 38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. So this adulterous and sinful generation. In Acts 2, Peter preaching that first sermon after Jesus ascended into heaven uh, and the apostles there with him in verse 40 and 41 with many of the words that he testified and exhorts, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and that same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That generation, untoward, evil, adulterous, sinful. I, I, I just kind of want to make a side point here. I always marvel that God the Father chose the right time and the proper generation in which to send Jesus into this world. The foreknowledge of God is amazing. And we know that he did that before the foundation of the world. First Peter 1 verse 20, he made that decision contextually, verses 18 uh, through 21, to send Jesus at that time that with his precious blood, he would be the lamb without blemish and without spot. I marvel at this because God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, foreknew what these people were like. And he chose to be light in the darkness that existed in the first century. He indicted that generation, adulterous, sinful, wicked. Well, that's why he refused to give a sign. Besides that, true faith comes through hearing the word of God, not by seeing, but by hearing. In Romans 10, 14 through 17, different context, Paul uh, in, in Romans chapters 1 through uh, 11 is trying to get the, the division between the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome uh, to cease, trying to get them both to understand that they both needed Christ to be a savior. You see the argument very strong in chapters 3 through 11 on that point. Well, in the midst of that context, Romans 10, 14 through 17, how then shall they call on him whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. However, some people are going to hear the word of God, and that's not going to be enough. Some people even see signs, and that's not enough, or signs in the sense of miraculous works. In John 4, 46-50, Jesus came in the Cana of Galilee, where he made water wine, so notable miracle had already been done there. There was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum, 
When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. So, except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. They, Even though miracle had already been done, even though you're already hearing Jesus, not enough. In John 11, 45 through 53, many of the Jews which uh, came to Mary and seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor consider it expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. This he spake not of himself, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation, not only for that nation, but also should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. So here, man, unwrap that, right? So here, witnesses, context, Lazarus is risen, witnesses, people that saw, people that heard, and the, the, the response of some is, how do we stop this? We don't want everybody to believe on him. Then the high priest prophesies, shows the work of the Spirit and how uh, the words of the Spirit are not of private interpretation. And even though he prophesies and foretells them that essentially we're about to do an evil thing for a good reason, then the end result, even after speaking the word of God, even after saying the truth, they could, took counsel to put him to death. I marvel sometimes when I hear false teachers teach. And, you know, I've had this discussion with a lot of people I know. Sometimes people think that false teachers are just ignorant, that they're only teaching false doctrine because they don't know any better. Now, there are people that desire to be teachers of the law that they don't understand what they say or where they affirm, 1 Timothy 1.7. There are those people, but they're far and few between. Most false teachers know full well that they're teaching false doctrine, and they know what verses to stay away from. Remember, a lot of these guys have gone to school and have studied the whole Bible. They just refuse to see the truth, just like the people we just read about. Well, when we look at the Scriptures, those that are blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. In John chapter 20, 24 through 29, Thomas that's why he's called Doubting Thomas, by the way. One of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with him when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said, Except I shall see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Wow. Wow. Here's one of the apostles. Well, the text goes on. After eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger. Behold my hands, 
and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, that the trial of your faith, context, uh, verses 1 through 9, is wonderful, by the way. So being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Looking forward to the resurrection. How many people can quote? I think of one guy that I knew years ago, and he never was faithful to God. I tried many times. You know, this guy, uh, one time we were having a Bible study, a Bible class, and, and this is where he decided to walk away from the opportunity to learn. Uh, we were about to study the book of Job here in El Paso, and he was in the assembly that day. And I, I was telling the brethren that we were about to jump into the book of Job and how that Job started out to be a perfect man, but then erred. And this guy wanted to argue that. No, he didn't err. Job was a perfect man. He, he, Bron, Bron, ah, look right here. Job was perfect. And then this guy's name was Steve. I said, Steve, look at Job 42, 1 through 6, where he had to repent. He abhorred himself. He refused. He wouldn't even talk about it. Well, this guy commonly would quote 2 Corinthians 5, 7, when it fit and when it didn't. It was like his favorite verse in the Bible. For we walk by faith and not by sight. I can hear him say it. Bron, Bron, we walk by faith, not by sight, Bron. I could hear it. He would say it in Bible class. I mean, just even when we weren't even talking about anything relative. So every time I think of this verse, Steve comes to mind. I wish that guy would, would turn to God. I'd love to see him do that. Sad story. But it's true. We walk by faith not by sight. And the reason for that is seeing is not enough. If people aren't going to believe the Word of God, they're not going to have faith. Seeing is not enough. In John 6, 2, great multitude followed Him because they saw His miracles, which He did on them that were diseased. Then if you read down through verse 30, verse 30, they said therefore unto Him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? And what dost thou work? Wait a minute. They believe because they saw the miracles. Then they said, show us a sign. Seeing was not believing. John 7, 31. Many of the people believed on him and said, when Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man had done? Wait, they believed on him, but they didn't. And John 12, 37 through 43. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? We, same thing in Romans 10, right? To whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they should see with their eyes, understand with the heart, and be converted, and I shall heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, among the chief of the rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Seeing was not enough. Now, that's one of the reasons I wanted to teach this lesson. Seeing is not enough. Then, for those of you that are my brothers and sisters in Christ, 
I have another reason I wanted to teach this lesson. Something for Christians to consider. Is it possible that many Christians, and I will just say for myself that in the past I was guilty of this, where we think we got to keep trying to prove, keep trying to prove, where we go even excessively beyond what Jesus went. You know, they asked for a sign. Jesus said, nope. Now, the Bible teaches us to be ready to give an answer. It's in the context of being persecuted. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's not be ready to answer every Bible question that's asked to you. That's of the hope that's in you, right? If you're a Christian, you should be able to explain to somebody else why you have hope in Christ. But how far does that extend? Both in the Old and New Testament, Psalm 39, 1, the psalmist said, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. What about controlling our words? What about Colossians 4, 5, and 6? Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. There's a way to answer. And there are limits that we see not only by Jesus' example, but by commands in the Scriptures. For example, in Matthew 7 and verse 6, Jesus said, Give not, give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine. Why? They will trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. They will use the truth against you, like they did Jesus. And 2 Timothy chapter 2, an evangelist, an evangelist who is commanded to preach the word, to be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, 2 Timothy 4, 2, same epistle, is also told in 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 16, of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun, that is to avoid, profane and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness. Later in that context, verse 23, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. And we could go on, but I give those as examples that there are times when you're commanded not to engage, not to keep on keeping on. We just had a discussion uh, last Sunday in a Luke class here among my brethren in El Paso where we were talking about Luke 10, 10, and 11, where Jesus told the 70, But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out in the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you, notwithstanding, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Jesus, says, no, Jesus doesn't say, Keep trying until they listen. He doesn't say, keep proving, keep proving. He doesn't say, show them all the prophecies that are being fulfilled. He says, shake the dust as a testimony against them. There's a time to walk away. And in many cases, it's a very short time. And that was against the whole city. Jesus, the Savior of the world, you do not love people's souls more than he did. Says, stop. Don't keep trying. How many times do Christians keep trying? to the point where we are sinning ourselves? There's a question for you to consider. A hard one. Uh, I dedicated my life to the preaching of the gospel because I want people to be saved. And I, I started doing so because I didn't see many others doing the true, genuine work. In 1999, and, and I was naive then, uh, 
by far in comparison to what I've learned since. Uh, I just looked around at people that called themselves preachers and seemed to me like they were more professional golfers and uh, entertainers and public orators rather than true gospel preachers. I wanted to take the gospel to the lost, teach it to them. And back then, I tried way too hard. I kept thinking, I can prove this. I can prove this. Well, the fact is, even Jesus couldn't. Because there are people, no matter what you do, they're not going to believe. If God spoke directly from heaven, they're not going to believe. You got to learn that. Or you're a sinner yourself. Wouldn't it be a shame to lose your soul because you tried too hard? Whew. And some people say, oh, I don't believe God would do that. Listen. Sin is transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. And the command is to give not that which is holy to the dogs, etc., the things we just talked about. When you violate those instructions, you've sinned. So you might come back to me and say, so did you sin in the past when you tried so hard? Yep, yes, absolutely. Had to repent of that. Had to learn not to do that. Had the Lord come, would you have lost your soul? Yes, absolutely. Had to learn not to do that. Okay, so whatever you think your rebuttal is, because this is what people do, instead of just hearing the Word of God and making the application, the first thing people want to do, go, go listen to Cognitive Dissonance, that podcast, if you haven't heard it yet, is they want to defend or, defend or deflect. Stop defending, stop deflecting, hear what Jesus did and what He commanded. Okay? We also have to remember that no matter how much you study or how much you learn, or what way you think you've just came to explain something that people don't seem to want to understand. The power to convert has always and will always be in the Word of God, not in you, not in presentation, in the Word of God. In Psalm 19, 7 and 8, Old Testament, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. In Romans 1, Paul says, verse 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith that is written, the just shall live by faith. It's not about your ability. Paul didn't have a good public speaking ability. He says so in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, that their faith should stand in the wisdom of God, not in men. You're not going to learn enough to become a capable enough teacher to convince people that aren't going to be convinced. You must accept that. There shall no sign be given. There is a time where you walk away. In Matthew 15, when Jesus was talking to people in, of the children of the Israel, the covenant seed, where they were stuck in traditions and doctrines of men, and they were offended, and the disciples asked him, Know you not they were offended because Jesus had chastised them. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 14, Let them alone. Did you hear that? See, people generally know the end of this verse. They be blind, leaders of the blind, the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. The first part of this verse, let them alone. Whew. Hear that, folks. There's a time where you look at people and no sign shall be given. So I wanted to talk about those two things today. The, the principle was taught in Mark 8, 11 through 13, and how we shouldn't believe everything. I also want, want to talk about Christians who just try to a sinful state to convert somebody as though you can do that yourself. No. 
And then there might be people that say, but, but they just need to hear enough. They need to hear enough. You've put too much faith in the Word of God. God's Word doesn't possess people and change them. I did a podcast not, not too long ago. I, I don't remember the date, but if you go back, or the title specifically. But if, if you go back and you look at uh, past podcasts, maybe, maybe you haven't uh, listened to all of them yet. Maybe you've, you know, uh, maybe this is the first time you've listened. Maybe you'll consider listening to some of the past ones. Uh, but I did a podcast... I'm trying to look real quick. Uh, it's titled "Misunderstanding the Power of the Gospel." Um, trying to see the date on that. Of course, I click on a link real quick. Um, misunderstanding is on April second. Um, we're talking about misunderstanding the power of the gospel. You're not going to be able to find the magic verses that's going to overtake somebody. And convince them beyond their free will. Okay? So hear these things from Jesus. See the example that he put forth. And understand there are people that want more evidence than is reasonable. There are people that don't want to hear. And on the flip side of that, understand that there are people that ask questions with impure motives. And not to fall for those traps. I hope that this has been a profitable study uh, for you. I certainly enjoy pointing out this content. I'll tell you what I'd like to hear. I'd like to hear from you if you're listening. I'd like to hear if you want me to keep doing these podcasts so that I can know that there are people listening. I do see some limited statistics uh, from Podbean, YouTube, and Rumble, but I don't have statistics from Apple. And I know that Google is a couple of days behind. If you're listening to this podcast on Google, it doesn't show up uh, right away on Google Podcasts. And there's a couple of other places too where it doesn't show up uh, right away. Podbean's always going to be first because that's my hosting uh, podcast app. If you want to download that, I put it up on my website too. Um, and I don't get statistics from a lot of those. So I don't know who you are or where you're from if you're listening uh, through, through various different uh, measures and means. But I am glad you listen. If you've got some questions, you want to talk, call me, 915-525-5794. Email me, brian at wordsoftruth.net. You can visit the website, www.wordsoftruth.net. But listen, like always, I'd rather just talk to you. Uh, you, could, you could be reasonable with me. I can be reasonable with you. We can talk about the scriptures and see if there's anything that, that I can do uh, to help you. But like this podcast, you know, I'm not going to get in unreasonable debates or arguments with people. Uh, I've done a whole debate podcast too. You can go back and look at that. I think that was like in January or February. It was a while ago. Uh, not going to get engaged in foolish arguments and striving about words. I'm not going to send, uh, but I would love to talk to you and help you in, in any way that I can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you could just take it or leave it, okay? We don't have to argue about it. I, you ask your question, I can give you the answer, and then and you can test it, and then it's up to you what you do with it. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you'll tune in uh, for Tuesday's podcast. We're going to talk about the rapture doctrine. Uh, it's a listener request. Shout out here to my brother Gowdy down there in the Dominican that asked for that podcast. I'll be doing that if all goes according to plan on Tuesday. Thank you so much. Hope you're well.